Welcome to Graging Acefully, a podcast of transcontinental sister friends discussing the art of graging acefully. And today is our fourth episode, and we'll be talking about birth and our our experiences around birth and birth work itself. Um, we put it out to the interwebs and we got some questions back um, from folks, uh, some topics that y'all would like to hear us discuss. So we've whittled that down to these four questions and that's what we're going to get to today. But first, hi, Kate. Hey, man, I was all ready to go. Just like when you're like, and this is a man tapping and I'm Kate. Oh, yeah, I, for- I forgot that part. I just did it for us. She's Amanda Topping and I'm Kate Stroud. Thank you, Kate Stroud. Um, <laughs> How are you? I, I'm good. I'm clearly not good at uh, continuity. <laughs> that's, Teamwork. Uh, that's right. Um, so do you want to, Kate Stroud... Uh, just give your your spiel of your well one just you have children I have children so you can say how many kids you have and then um, what your role is and has been in birth work okie dokie artichoke um, I have two kids uh, my first is 21 now his name's Sam and he was born at the uh, big university hospital in town here with nurse midwives that I did not research at all. I was, uh, got accidentally pregnant on my wedding night, as I've mentioned in previous episodes. Um, so unexpectedly, and I just walked into Planned Parenthood and was like, I'm pregnant. Before that, I was not a big fan of babysitting. I didn't like watching children. Um, I have an art degree, uh, with a concentration in sculpture and I worked in metalsmithing and jewelry for a number of years and, um, was working in a produce department of a grocery store at the time. So nothing in my life was screaming, go into birth work. Um, and so I got care and had a hospital birth and then, um, got into birth work after I think about three months after he was born, we took a training or six months. Um, we took a tr- upper doula mm-hmm. training we met another friend of ours that did birth work with us. And um, yeah, so that ball started rolling. And then I had my daughter um, a few years later. She's 18 right now, Ella, and uh, she was born at home. Um, So I've had a a hospital birth and a home birth. Um, I became a doula back in 2001. And I've been doing doula work since then. And then I became a childbirth educator About 17 years ago, I became a, um, about 15, 17 years ago, I became a birth doula trainer. So I've been training doulas for the last 15 years. That is, you know, mostly of the work I do now. Um, I'm also co-founder of the Michigan Prison Doula Initiative and created their program. And we offer um, doula care to incarcerated women in the one Michigan prison in the state, which happens to be in Ypsilanti, Women's Huron Valley, and I was also a doula for that program. So um, I've worked with, you know, um, Detroit Public Health and a bunch of nonprofits down in Detroit, and I've taught trainings up in the UP, which is its own demographic of healthcare. Um, so yeah, my, my personal philosophy of working in childbirth and birth is, you know, um, kind of a doula for anyone who wants one, whether I am servicing them as a doula or... Um, you know, starting nonprofits or training other doulas. I also had the wonderful privilege of being a home birth 
midwifery assistant to Amanda and another friend of ours who was a home birth midwife for many years. So I got to get to see behind the scenes. Um, I was not an apprentice because I really had no desire to be a primary uh, home birth midwife, but I loved working with my friends and supporting them in their amazing work that they do. So. Cool. Yeah. How about you, Amanda? Ah, uh, um, yeah. Well, um, my high school years <laughs> were spent, uh, watching my nephews, um, an awful lot. Um, so, I, ha- I did have experience around kids and babies. And as a result, I didn't want any right away. Um, I really loved my nephews, but it, yeah, in high school, you know, I started babysitting at 2 PM and I finished at midnight and I did that five days a week, you know, all through high school. And, um, for a couple of years after even, um, so I was really burnt out on the kid front <laughs> before I had kids. but I love them dearly and still love them dearly. Um, but yeah, end up having three children of our own. Uh, first one, uh, how old is that kid now? She's 23. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. My oldest was born in the hospital with nurse midwives. Um, like we've talked about in other episodes, of course, I researched the shit out of everything. And, um, but I didn't know that there were home birth midwives at the time, had no idea. Um, but yeah, had a really great experience in the hospital with my midwives really kind of was, uh, came away from that experience, very empowered and very more like fascinated by the body and, uh, women and babies and pregnancy and labor and birth and all the things, um, really, really, really hate being pregnant. I really like being in labor and giving birth. I know it's the worst part, but it's the shortest part too. Um, (laughs) And then my second two were born at home. Um, Also really good experiences. I became a doula. What'd you say in 2001? We took doula training. (laughs) Why do I always think it's 2000? I guess I was taking other birth classes at the time, like Patty Mm -hmm. Brennan's. Yeah. You were getting into it, like, especially around my when I was pregnant, which I got pregnant in April, 2000. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was definitely taking like little community classes and stuff of, all right. Nurses aid or something. You were studying. I was, well, I wanted to be a midwife and I wasn't sure that, uh, if I wanted to work in a hospital or not, that's what it was. So I took doula training with Kate in 2001 and, and I started doing births right away in the hospital, supporting families in the hospital. And quickly that was what made me decide I did not want to work in the hospital and, um, pursued, um, becoming a certified professional midwife, which I did in 2006. Um, so what, oh, so over those years, and then I continued to do birth, uh, work. I had some dual clients here and there postpartum work, caring for people, um, in their homes afterwards, postpartum care. And then, yeah, um, I stopped catching babies in 2014, I believe. And, uh, went to a couple births after that here and there, um, including a sweet little pandemic baby in 2020, um, of a dear friend, which was a home birth. Uh, anyway, I'm rambling. (laughs) 
I got that perimenopause brain, but that's where we're at. So um, I still really love birth work and I'm fascinated by it. And I'm really um, so fired up to see the great things that are happening in Michigan, particularly with the, the Detroit Birth Center that's coming up and mm-hmm. happening and my my little midwife heart is exploding every time I look at all the good stuff coming out of Detroit right now. Well done, all y'all. Um, yeah, take a minute to Google Birth Detroit if you want to know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and uh, support them. Find them social media, send them money, buy T-shirts. They are phenomenal and doing really great work. Um, I'm buying three sweatshirts today, so should you. Yay. I love it. I love it. Okay. So should we just hop into our questions? The first question? Yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah. First question. Okay. Is, the first question is, did you constantly have anxiety during pregnancy about something going wrong? Did you? Yeah. Did you? Well, I was, well, I was processing so much at the time because I didn't expect to be pregnant. And um, I am for me, you know, you know, it was, you know, I'm, this is presented to me and I'm doing it. And um, I was not prepared. I was scared out of my mind, but I was like, all right, let's kind of how I take life. I'm like, okay, this is what's in front of me. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. How I walk through the world. <clears throat> but if anything, I was really, I remember there was one particular night, um, I was trying to make muffins and, um, I burnt the muffins and I was crying on the phone to my mom that I was going to be a terrible parent. Mm. Like, I can't do this. Like it was more of like parenting that freaked me out. Um, more than the pregnancy. Yeah. I was more just kind of letting the pregnancy do its thing. I was, I was more focused where you, I think you said in the last episode, we were like, you're more focused, like you were really fascinated what was going on in your body. Mm-hmm. And I was more like, what am I coming up against? So I researched like the history of the um, electronic fetal monitors. And I also, my, my, <laughs> um, when I got pregnant, my, I, I had major catastrophe insurance. So I didn't have coverage for my birth and pregnancy. And we tried to even push jobs and get insurance. So I was fighting with, um, I was fighting to get insurance most of my pregnancy. And so I had this underlying fear of the bill mm-hmm. I was about to be smacked with, uh, cause I had a friend who, you know, she had had a C-section, like it was an acquaintance. And I remember someone telling me like, it cost $26,000. And I was like, I make $9 an hour right now. I can't afford a $26,000 debt right yeah, now. It's twice as much as that now, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I was just like, I was more, I had more like the fear of dollar signs in front of my face a lot mm-hmm. of my pregnancy because I was trying to get covered by insurance that I didn't have. Right. Um, like we made too much as two people making $9 an hour and married. I remember um, that just barely, weren't you yeah. like, like literally just barely beyond. Yeah. And we, I, I, I mean, when you're pregnant so corrupt. to get, you know, all these feelings. And I was like, I was having conversations with my spouse at the time saying like, well, how do you feel about getting divorced? If I can get insurance coverage, mm-hmm. those are the conversations we were having. So I was worried about a lot of other stuff <laughs> um, right. to have any big mortality leaps at the moment. I had that more with my second though. Mm-hmm. Um, my first 
labor was 46 hours and I'll call it emotional dystocia. I just was, I was so, I, I was so, cause I didn't know if I had insurance coverage when I went into labor. I got the, um, finally after like a couple of denials, I got an approval letter and it came in the mail after I got home from it. Like I got it like the day after I got home from the hospital with Sam. Right. It went retroactive three months. So it covered you know, a number of the later tests, but the rest of it mm-hmm. was just bills. Um, so the system was kind of wackadoodle, but the second time around we did have insurance and I also chose to have Ella at home. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was having seen a number of births, having more experience with it and feeling more comfortable with it in that way. But, you know, when you have a home birth, people question you in your sanity. And so I had to release it for a period. And I remember I was seven months pregnant with her and it took me about the entire month. And I sat there and I said, am I Okay with the fact that I'm making a decision that if I gave birth in a different location, I could have stopped myself or my child from dying. And I sat with that for a month and I was like, am I really okay with this? If if I leave, if I abandon my children in death that could have been stopped, or if I lose a child, am I okay with that? And, and I was like, and I think I've also was at, hospital births enough to see like sometimes that interventions can be get interventions and and that kind of stuff although I I birth pretty straightforward I mean that's another reason I'm like I birth pretty straightforward I'm not like high on the risk factors for well yeah that's what I was gonna say too right is that when you're considering when we get into that and we'll sorry to interject but just that yeah if you were in any way high risk you would have been risked out for a home birth so So that's another piece of information that one considers, you know, is that they are having legitimate prenatal care. (laughs) Very, in my opinion, it was more thorough prenatal care with my home birth than my hospital birth. My, my nurse midwives are amazing. They do an amazing job, but they are limited by the structure of which employs them. And that, I mean, I've never, you know, I haven't met a nurse midwife who wouldn't say, oh my gosh, I would love to have an hour with each client. And they yeah, absolutely. Just, they just can't because of the way the systems work of which they work it. Now at home, you can have that hour long appointment and it's just, it's a different structure. Um, so I had it, I had it more with Ella than I did with Sam for no other reason that I think that I just wasn't allowed to have those thoughts and feelings because I was having a whole bunch of other thoughts and feelings. Yeah, because your brain was engaged in the reality of a lack of health insurance versus not being able to keep yourself the luxury of freaking out emotionally. Yeah, I I was like, A, I don't want to be a shitty parent and B, I don't want to be in debt becoming a parent because also after Sam was born, we were in an income bracket that we couldn't afford childcare and we couldn't afford for me not to work. Right. So I had five, like what, three paper routes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that I did seven days a week with my kids swung over one side and the papers on the other side, back when there was delivery seven days a week. Back when there were newspapers. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm really thankful I had that opportunity, but man, that was stupid. I was just like, I can't afford to put my kid in childcare. So, right. and that, you know, and then it became a habit of, you know, once I was able to find a job, um, that I could work evenings um, that worked with the schedule with 
Don's schedule, with my ex-husband's schedule of like he worked nine to five and I work five to midnight. Right. And yeah. Then you, then you do the trade-off of never seeing your partner so that you can have free childcare. And then you grow apart and then, you know, things happen and yeah, it's, I don't recommend it. Yeah. It's really tough to have a baby in America. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did I constantly have anxiety? You know, I thought about this and I was like, granted, it was a while ago. It's been a minute. Just a minute. <laughs> a minute. Um, and I, I feel like I, I didn't, I just didn't have anxiety about the pregnancy. I had had a miscarriage before I ever got pregnant on purpose. You were trying that, for a while, weren't you? Yeah, I was trying. I, I tried for nearly like two and a half years or so with, with my Sarah, with our oldest, um, before I got pregnant. Um, but once I was, um, I just was, <laughs> and like I said, I don't, I don't have, I hate, I hated being pregnant. I have horrendous nausea for like four months. Um, and then I had like horrendous sciatica and I worked, I was a waitress, you know, on my feet for seven, eight hours a day. And then I was, you know, up to my schedule so that I could save as much money as possible. So then I was working six and seven days a week, you know, right up, uh, right up to the end as you do. Um, actually cut out a couple weeks early because my sciatica was so bad that I could hardly walk. It was horrendous. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was like kind of like that, like just the reality of life mm-hmm. of like how hard I was working and just trying to get by. Um, like we were literally living in a basement apartment, right? And like trying to get this down payment scrapped together for a house and all that shit. So yeah, I think a lot of that financial stuff really took over my head space. Um, and then with my second and third, which who were born at home, I did have kind of similar to you. I had this, I think it is that like, Oh, you know, and by that point I had been a student midwife for a few years and attended a bunch of home births and I felt really comfortable with that. But then there was that kind of come to Jesus moment where you're like, okay, like there is no OR down the hall. I can't have an emergency C-section. The hospital is literally, you know, what, three miles away from the house. You could get there in five minutes or so, but you know, and then just being like, okay, you know, um, I think regardless of where you plan to give birth, you end up having this let go moment of like, I'm, I'm just not in control here. You know, I can only set up the best situations for myself. Hopefully, you know, I can only do what I can do um, because any number of things can happen. And I think I just had to make peace with that. Cause then I was like, Oh, well, that respect, it's like every other part of life, isn't it? <laughs> we well, can I, think that we have it all in control, but we don't. Right. Know? And I think there's something, especially when you, I think it should be across the board in hospital and at home or wherever birth centers, wherever you give birth. But I think there is a level of when, you know, when we gave birth at home and I think to some extent, yeah, it still probably stands, but it was a little bit more, uh, it was, it was a little less known back when we did it 20 years ago. And even before that, even less, you know, but I think when you choose to make that path, because there's so much resistance against you, there's an accountability that you have to like, it's almost like prepping for accountability of like, okay, 
I need to really assess my accountability now for my decisions that I'm making because I didn't just like roll with the flow because there's like an accountability that you can kind of throw out the window if you're just like, oh yeah, I just went into the hospital system and picked an OB. And if it happens, like I, d- I did what I was supposed to do. Yeah. They tell me what to do. <laughs> right. Instead of saying, well, I'm going to take control of my healthcare and my path and say, I'm going to deviate a little bit. Or even if you stay in that avenue, but like are mindfully making decisions and being accountable for your decisions along the way and saying like, you know, um, it's like kind of being along for the ride, you know, it's like, it, it, it's like taking part in the ride rather than just going along for the ride. And I think for sure. choosing to have your child outside of a hospital setting or the norm is having to sit with accountability where I think sometimes when things go awry at home, as they do in the hospital as well, um, I think sometimes people have difficulty with that they hadn't come to terms with that accountability of themselves that like you made a choice to give birth, you know, because I, I think most midwives I know are very clear about the, you know, risks and the benefits and the risking out and do a really mm-hmm. good job. Sometimes just stuff happens, just like sometimes stuff happens in a hospital, but it's questioned less because it's the hospital. It's right. Because every, people. everything was there that could be there for you. Doesn't mean they called for it at the right time, you know, right. or whatever. There's a lot of systems of protection in that arena, but um, accountability seemed to be a big one that you and I are resonating with of like that the the anxiety was about the accountability of the decisions not necessarily what's happening um yeah yeah and even I mean way back then you know like I did I mean I I, you know I, I I had a yoga practice probably a year or so before I got pregnant and my yoga practice when I first started, because there weren't like a million yoga studios and, you know, it just wasn't a big, as big a thing. Then it started as a a spiritual practice and a meditation practice and a pranayama practice. And then I started doing the physical posture stuff. Right. So like that, even in a year's time had like really kind of centered me (laughs) in a way that was this kind of, like we were talking about, like this non-attachment, like, right. Like I can only do so much. And then at some point you just have to release your expectations of the outcome. It's letting go. Just letting go. Well, and pregnancy is, it felt like this like crash course for parenting. And the more I taught people about, I was just like, pregnancy is just a crash course. Let it go. Your sleep's going to go to crap. You never yeah. know when stuff's going to change. As soon as you get it, it's going to shift on you. And you just, it, it is, I think pregnancy parenting is a spiritual practice in itself of just. It's a being in the now. Being in and the now. Oh, I mean, I loved, like, I really loved being pregnant. I always kind of joked. I'm like, I would do it again if I didn't have to raise it. I love my kids very much, but um, you know, going through the bodily process of like growing another human and having them move inside of you. And like the fact when I just sit and think of like, my body has opened up twice to allow humans to traverse my body. And now mind blowing. I'm yeah. sitting here having conversations with this 21 year old about like, you know, the 2010 Kanye West album of like, the- <laughs> like, I, like, but that's how my brain works all the time. I'm just like, holy, like, like just cracking jokes of like, oh yeah, back in 1998, you were just a little sperm and no, you know, a little egg. Yeah. And, but it's like, 
if we really just take them out, like it's really freaking cool, you know, and it is a spiritual practice in itself. And I think I've always had that underlying. So for me, when I had Sam, by the time I hit transition, which in the arc for those of, you know, that aren't, you know, drenched in birth, you have labor part of it. That's, you know, you know the labor part. And there's like a short part called transition. that's like really, really intense. And it's where the body opens up right before pushing. And then the baby comes out. And so in transition, your body is kind of like trying, it's like washing you with endorphins, trying to get you to go to sleep. And like, just really your body wants to take over and it's really telling the mind to go away. And I was so tired at this point, I was sitting in a rocking chair. And like, I remember just going to a different place. And I remember just being like, it was really cool. Now, mind you, I'm like, like making all these groveling noises while I had a contraction, then I'd fall asleep in between. But I remember it being the coolest thing. It was like walking to the edge of being human mm-hmm. and then coming back. And I remember talking to my friends about it later who were pregnant and expecting to have babies. And I just would talk positively about that space. And I had so many people come back to me angry. They're like, I don't know what the fuck you were talking about, but that was horrible. I was just like, oh, sorry. I won't like, that was just my experience. And, you know, and I, and, and we've talked about this before of like, it's harder for people who have had positive birth experiences to talk about it so much because there is a lot of trauma out there. And, totally. um, but I found having my children to be the most profound, like spiritual experience in my life. Um, and it was, it was a lot of letting go into it and just being like, I'm releasing to an unknown entity that is me and is within me and coming through me and a knowledge I cannot freaking fathom like the fact that I didn't sit there and be like I'm growing a third metal tarsal today no my body just knew how to do that that's great and it's having faith and like you know humans come out of their birth person and they know how to blink and pee and urinate and defecate and do all these movements to find the breast and all this other stuff you know and they weren't studying the intrauterine library to get there they the body just knows it and it's like I think it was those moments um of really the beginning of me seeing myself as separate from there's the bodily self. And then there's like my mental self and my emotional self. Like my bodily self is so much smarter than I am. And ah, you know, I've had a relationship with my body in the last few years, but it's been kind of pissed off at me because I haven't been listening. So it chose to do some things to get my attention, which is, you know, grow a tumor or two, but, um, but I don't yeah. think your body grew a tumor because you weren't paying attention to it. <laughs> Well, it was growing a tumor and I wasn't paying attention. That's true. But, okay. Um, <laughs> it wasn't a cause and effect thing. So, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. So, um, so yeah, shall, um, how, sh- shall we move on to the next part? Cause I feel like if you and I don't move on, we could just wax poetic about a whole bunch of things. for a while. No, for sure. And like one thing's kind of blending into another anyway. Um, yeah, just so. Yeah. So let it go. That's my advice. Like do what you can to stay healthy, ask your questions. um, And then you really do just have to get to a place of kind of a surrender, open your hand instead of a clenched fist, open your hand that goes well with all areas of life. Just moan it out, girl. That's right. Do it up human mouth, breathing, soft lips, open palms that baby come up. All right. Second question. And this one is a little tricky and we're going to get into it because of kind of language stuff. So the question is, can we, or can we discuss rather the health and the mental health, uh, 
benefits of a natural birth and by natural, I'm assuming they mean unmedicated. So meaning, uh, you know, no pain relievers. So we can also get into the weeds with this Mm -hmm. because it's kind of loaded also Mm -hmm. because as someone who sat in on a handful of your doula trainings, I know this is kind of like what you talk about all weekend (laughs) (laughs) about like how to support people on and off uh, medication. So first of all, we say an unmedicated birth versus a natural birth. Um, natural judgy. Yeah. Cause natural just feels judgy. Um, because any way a baby comes out of a body is, is birth. It's a natural birth. Um, so unmedicated without pain relief. So do you, what are, I don't, I don't even know how I feel about the word benefits being aligned with that. Like I understand the question, but yeah, I, I get it. It's just, there are, um, Yeah. Um, I would, I, yeah, I would say I lean more on instead of being hyper-focused on that part of medicated versus unmedicated being the point that we're looking at versus mental health and physical health benefits of birth. I'd rather pull up about 5,000 to 10,000 feet and say, what is the culture and support systems under which birth is occurring that play into mental and physical health? I mean, there's a lot And that is, you know, also teaching our birthing people to research where they're going to have a baby and who they're having a baby with Mm -hmm. and what their preferences mean and teaching them how to use their voice and teaching them how to have boundaries with what they need and the people around them. And I think if we empowered and emboldened people, whether they have a medicated or unmedicated birth, I think making decisions from a place of bold confidence as and the, informed consent in informed knowing consent. that you are, you have a right to informed consent for every, every single, single every single test, consent. whether it's getting your blood pressure or doing an amniocentesis or <laughs> whatever, mm-hmm. like you, you have the right to know the pros and cons of every single thing. And so, yeah, finding your voice. And I do find one of the things I talk about in my training is you know, I think we put so much weight on this medicated versus unmedicated, which there are some very real components to that. But I've had, you know, two particular clients, I think about that uh, client who had what was a A plus birth by, you know, their first birth, A plus by their, you know, went, went fine without a glitch. Just the care provider was like, that was a perfect birth. You were a perfect patient. Awesome. Great. Um, And then, you know, she was actually very traumatized by it because she thought things happened to her. She wasn't part of the decision-making process. She just felt very disconnected from the whole process. And then there was another person who had every single intervention possible, ended up with a C-section and was very satisfied with her birth because she felt part of the decision-making process every step of the way. And she felt empowered. So sometimes I think that we put too much weight on the the minutia of it rather than pulling back and actually seeing where the points are, the pain points mm-hmm. are. It's not, it's not necessarily the medication. It's maybe how we got to the point of having medication. Is that indicative of lack of support? Is it lack of, you know, is it lack of the confidence to speak up and ask for what you want? Is it, you know, I think there's so many other components that go into than actually the unmedicated versus medicated or whatever happens in your whole pregnancy and postpartum. I think it's more 
you know, I think it's bigger issues. Right. And to say that, <sighs> I'm going to just put it down to pain relief during labor. Cool. Um, it is, it is entirely up to the individual because it is their perception of pain and how that, how they experience that in their body and how they experience that in their mind. And based upon a million factors, which you, you know, you don't know, they may not even know, um, until they're in it, that degree labor hurts. It's very painful. Um, and there's really no other pain. I don't know. They say kidney stones, you know, I, I just don't even think I, my sister, <laughs> my sister, unfortunately has been having kidney stones ripping through her for the past year. And, uh, she's like, yeah, they hurt, but like, whatever, I got to go to work. And I'm I, like, <laughs> and I'm I like okay, so over the phone who was having kidney stones. Yeah. It, it sounds bad, but I, I still don't think it's no, she was like, this is nowhere near as bad as childbirth. And I'm like, are you seeing blood in your urine? And she's like, oh, totally. Anyway, I got to go. I have to take a meeting, you know, like I'm like laughing. She's so, um, so I, my, my point is, I don't think there's anything that compares to the intensity of um, labor pain and we all experience it differently. We all experience it for different lengths of time. And for some folks, it's really feels empowering to you know, to cope with it without pain medication or pain relief for other people that feels completely traumatizing and steamrolling to, because it is, it's really intense. And so we just have to leave it up to the individual to one other options <laughs> and to, to hopefully get what they need when they need it. Um, you know, and, and so those are the best, the pros and the cons, just get it if you need it. Um, you know, it, a lot of folks who chose a home birth did it because um, they felt safer at home. You know, they felt safer away from all of the things, right? So <clears throat> all the interventions and whatnot. Um, so it's just a different mindset where there are other folks who are like, absolutely not. So fear is a huge component um, in whether one chooses to get, you know, an epidural or whatever. And that's okay. But if we're going to look at like the actual, you know, what, what you'll find on any doctor's website, any hospital website, <clears throat> um, as far as benefits and, and quotations of an unmedicated birth, there is the added freedom of movement during labor. So if you are not on any sort of, uh, you know, pain meds during, labor, you get to move around, you get to walk around a bit more. Yeah, um, put a jig you, on. yeah, you can dance around. You don't have to have may, you may or may not have to have an IV. Um, you will have electronic fetal monitoring. If you're in the hospital, usually that's, do they still do little 20 minute Strip. strips on the hour? Yeah. Um, it's been a minute since I've been in the hospital. Um, there is statistically a lower risk of in interventions um, if you are unmedicated. Epidurals can have side effects that include lower blood pressure, headaches, nausea, and backaches. Um, unmedicated births, there is a potential for less vaginal tearing. Um, and the ability to freely move could help speed up labor and to possibly shorten pushing time. 
So that's about it as far as benefits. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just informed consent and like, what is the mm-hmm. definition of informed consent? And, you know, I know a lot of folks nowadays get information off the internet. Um, and I'll say I've attended some births where people have educated themselves over the internet and their information's a little off. Yes. And it's, and when I realized this and we're like in the middle of a birth, I was like, oh, this did not come. This is a weird. I, it's not the time for me to correct you. So I do still encourage folks to really talk to a human who specializes in childbirth rather than trying to teach yourself off the internet. Um, and speak to your care provider. And if they don't have time to yeah. speak to you, then, then ask somebody in the hospital birth center, whatever your specific questions. Cause not only are things, you know, on the internet, not always true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, things, especially around birth, right? Like it, it varies from hospital to hospital. You could be in the same damn town and just in the other hospital. And there's going to be different ways of approaching situations. Right. So if you talk um, to someone in your area, it, you know, you having regional answers to things. Cause like talking to a childbirth educator in Ann Arbor Ipsy area versus even talking to someone in the Marquette or the, upper, you know, which is the upper peninsula, which mm-hmm. is about 10 years behind, you know, the lower <laughs> peninsula, um, you're going to get different, you know, responses because the, the actual hospital protocol and birthing systems are different. Yeah. Um, anybody who has babies around here, we're pretty progressive. And I'm always like, if you guys move, cause a lot of people move in and out of Ann Arbor, like if y'all move, do some research on your local hospital because you're kind of being spoiled over here a little bit for sure in a good way. Totally. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest thing is just informed consent. And I mean, I I've always told folks, I'm like, I have no opinion about how people choose to have their baby as long as they do it in an educated way. Um, because like some people were shocked that I've, I've supported people as a doula who have had scheduled C-sections and they're like, how could you do that? Or what is it? And I was like, they're like, Did, why were they having a C-section? And I was like, I don't know. It's none not of my business. None <laughs> of my business to know. I'm like, I, and I'm not going to ask either if they choose, choose to divulge. Cool. I'm going to give them information. So I know that they're having, making an informed decision. Other than that, I will, I will support you till the cows come home. And, and sometimes that is, you know, I've had to get creative and, and that's okay. And, but I don't have this massive investment in like unmedicated because I don't think an unmedicated birth is for everyone at all. No, it's not right. It's like, I don't think home births for everybody at all. You know, I think there's, there's, there's a, a space and a place. Um, shall we, shall we move along to the next question? Sure. Question number three. Um, And this is, I think, probably a bit out of both of our depths, but we're going to just talk about it at any rate. (laughs) It's um, what are some warning signs and best treatment for postpartum depression and possibly psychosis? A really great postpartum depression therapist in your area. Have them in your pocket. Yeah, right. So if you work in birth work, if you work with pregnant people, if you are a therapist, know who specializes in it in your area. Like when I was doing birth work and Kate, you're still in it um, with doula training, but like we always had a pretty extensive um, resource list uh, to hand out. Like it was long of everybody in our area who. And also free support groups, because also understanding not everybody has coverage for like also looking at 
resources for every financial demographic. And I had lists. I, I, when I did my practice, I had a piece of paper that had therapists, postpartum recovery groups, but then I had book times, yoga and mommy baby classes, like places where people could go be around other people. Yeah. Social interactions, similar transition in life, because I think one huge part of, um, issues is culturally, like I've said in other episodes of like, we live in our little boxes and we do all these things separately from other people doing the same thing in their little boxes. I think one of my saving graces, um, was when you and I got into a good groove and I spent like so much time at Amanda's house because I would just take Sam over. We'd talk about birth work. I'd watch her fold her laundry. Um, we'd have the kids playing in the backyard, but I, like I had to be around community Mm -hmm. raising raising kids because I, I, you know, I was already working a job where I was alone in a building in the evening. So to be alone with my kid during the day and alone at night at work, that, that, that level of isolation is just really tough. Now, once they get older and you start having more play dates and you get more ingrained into like the parent, but also understanding that your friend group is based on your child's gender and age um, of like who you end up hanging out with. And, and there's just a lot of things that like, I mean, luckily I found you and Stacia. Um, but, um, yeah, was, sometimes you're hanging out with people you would never want to hang out with. It's just like right. your kids hit it off and you're like, ugh. <laughs> kind of hard as well. But I, I had this piece of paper that had all these resources and I told my clients, I said, put this piece of paper on your fridge and leave it there until your baby's first birthday. And I would say this in front of both uh, parents. And I would say, so, you know, non-birthing partner, if at any point you see the birthing partner not bouncing back or feeling down or just blue or anxiety, I'm giving you full permission right now to say something to the birthing partner who's having a hard time recovering. Cause I think like sometimes it's observed, but no one wants to say anything. And so creating, I'm taking accountability that that now the support partner, um, the non-birthing partner can can point to me and say, Kate told me to do this. And I'm feeling like you're not bouncing back. Do you think we can look at some of those resources on the fridge? Cause that way you're not trying to find the piece of paper. You don't have to Google, you know, you're just, it's just right there. You make a phone call. And I also express that you might go see someone and they might say, no, you don't have postpartum depression. And you can say, okay, mm-hmm. you. at least you saw somebody. And, um, and also it manifests in different ways. It's not always depression. Sometimes it's just like apathy or sometimes it's, I'm fine, but I have these weird thoughts about my kids sometimes because it's just really hard to be sleep deprived and have this person. Mm -hmm. Like I love my child so much, but I have these thoughts about them that if I told my partner, they'd be really scared, but you know. Right. Well, I had, well, before I had kids, I mean, I, I had, uh, pretty bad periods where OCD and intrusive thoughts really fucked with me um like pretty badly as a child and then you know what I've come to see now with like the distance of just the advantage the vantage point of being older is like oh it flares up under periods of stress and so in the postpartum period um it's a period of stress. It's hard. You're sleep deprived. Your body's gone through this massive change uh, as breastfeeding. Um, 
you know, just a lot of stuff, Never mind like the hormonal functions or like fluctuations rather all over the damn place takes a minute to kind of get into its new groove. So those, that kind of stressor, like just amped up my intrusive thoughts and intrusive thoughts. I just saw a thing the other day. It was like, what was it? (laughs) Oh, the statistic was 70 to 100, 100% of new moms report unwanted intrusive thoughts. So, so if you have a little baby and you're like, I wonder what it'd be like to throw them off the roof. And you're like, Jesus, fuck, what, what? (laughs) It's normal. It's terrifying. Like the fourth hour of them just crying unconsolably. And I mean, I had a like who hardly knew me. She's like, I'm calling you because I know you work in childbirth. And if I said this to my husband, he would be really worried. And she said something similar. She's like, I love my child so much, but I just think about tossing them in a bag out the window. And it, Mm -hmm. I did. I kept her on the phone for a little bit and kind of sussed out. Okay, I'm like, okay, this is not postpartum psychosis. Mm-hmm. Just you're adjusting to parenting. And like, yeah, you just gave up your whole life to this human that like, it's the longest, hardest job ever. And, and there's this extra pressure of like, this tiny thing is so fragile. So your brain just likes to fuck with you. Like, what's the worst thing we could do to this fragile thing? We oh, could yeah. put them in the microwave, you know? And you're like, what? You know, and that's like, that is the nature of intrusive thoughts. Like they come and they go and they just leave you feeling like a horrible human. But which is the guilt and the secrecy that goes along with it rather than just right. saying, like, hey, guess what? Like, and and that's where also where I lean on the idea of community of just like, like, I think if we did more communal raising of children together, you know, I, it, it would normalize, it would be able to give people breaks as well of like, I think some of it is like the isolation. It's, it's the unyielding loneliness of it. Even when you're around people like the, the like yeah. people don't feel comfortable saying what's really going on in their head in these times of adjustment. Cause they're like, no, I'm really supposed to love being a mom. It's supposed to be so super great. I'm supposed to be good. And Oh, this is just hard. Like, I mean, I sent you a photo. Um, I recently like two weeks ago, sent mm-hmm. Amanda a photo of her holding my first child in her backyard and a, we look like puppies. Um, <laughs> I said, Oh, look at you parenting my kid. Cause I was drowning in postpartum depression. And she said, well, I was too. And I was like, yeah, but you were so much more high functioning, <laughs> but you, it, it wasn't, it, but it's like you manifested. I got more deflated where you kind of rode this anxiety. Um, of over- yeah, when like, I'm depressed, I tend to like never sit down Thanksgiving dinner, that one Thanksgiving dinner mm-hmm. and Amanda early on, I think I was pregnant. So it was Sarah's first Thanksgiving dinner and it was like lovely, huge, but it was you were fit to be tied that year. Oh yeah. I mean, that's just the way I deal with my shit. It's oh, just, yeah. I make a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I could raise an Amish barn on my own if I'm, if I'm stressed enough. Yeah. Um, how it manifests differently in different people. So it's also hard yeah. to give a cookie cutter answer of how to identify and deal with it because it manifests differently in so many people. And I think we just kind of default to like, oh, we'll just let them be or we'll let her be instead of, you know, I, I would like to say if anybody wants to write in and tell us your story of, you know, what I'd love to hear the reality of what it was like for some folks of, you know, crossing that threshold and like the stuff that you kept in and you didn't feel like you could talk about. Um, it was really, really freaking lonely, you know, yeah. and I feel like with my family, I couldn't say anything or. 
Yeah, same. It's okay. All good. All good. <laughs> um, Should we go into the next one? Um, well, I, yeah. I just have a couple more things to say about this one. Um, yes, yeah, support, support, support. Um, yeah, like you were saying about the, you know, having a partner or somebody you point out like that, that resource list or whatever. Um, as a home birth midwife, I would often have that conversation with the partner and or any family friends um, that were kind of like have, you know, involved in, in prenatal care and postpartum care, or if they were at the birth and I'd have like that heart to heart of like what to look for, for mm-hmm. postpartum depression. And so just again, reiterating, having another pair of eyes on a person <clears throat> because I couldn't see my own postpartum depression until, I don't know, probably Last just year? before, before Sarah turned two. And then I was like, oh, oh, you know, and here I was like, oh, um, well, as long as I put mascara on every day and shower every day, I'm not depressed. <laughs> like you that know. was, yeah, that was, know. those were my markers, you know, um, that was a fucking mess. Um, so yeah, just really encouraging people to have honest communication. So uh, warning you signs. My lady back in the day. Who? Fly lady. Fly lady. Yeah. It was like an early interwebs, uh, website about like how to fight the blues at home. And it was like, I remember her thing was like, make sure you showered every day and you put your shoes on. Stop it right now. No, I don't remember that, but that's okay. rules you I know. made for myself. Right. And I think it's because you and I had conversations about the fly lady and her website's still out there. I did check like a couple of months ago. And that's bizarre. Yeah. She also had this really great way to clean a steel sink. I don't, those three things was like, which is why she's still fly lady is still suffering from depression as she's cleaning <laughs> shit like that. Cause that's how I do. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. I would put on shoes and take a shower, which I still do. So. Right. Um, so yeah, you know, postpartum depression has all the signs of regular depression. Um, just with the added emphasis of, uh, you had a baby. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your body. Your body's is- rocked your body's kind of broken feeling for a bit. Um, it's just hard. Um, postpartum psychosis, uh, statistically, apparently one in 500, um, people experience that. Um, and that is more marked by kind of, you know, the weepiness, the tearfulness that can also happen with depression, but it's kind of a lot, um, anxiety, really heightened anxiety, um, being very suspicious, having uh, hallucinations, delusions. So things like that. Um, if, you know, that's happening, then that person literally like needs to go to the hospital straight away um, to make sure that they do not hurt themselves or anyone else around them. Um, I fortunately have never seen in, in the people I've, you know, served, um, I've never seen postpartum psychosis. I have seen a lot of um, postpartum depression, just you get kind of run of the mill stuff. Nothing. I have how, one, uh, one thing I've actually seen is um, a three, like a, like a numerous day postpartum anxiety attack of the non-birthing partner. Right. 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 Another, right. For another conversation, but also that like postpartum depression is not isolated to just the birthing partner. Postpartum depression can affect the non-birthing partner and postpartum anxiety. 
Yeah. Um, so that's also something to be aware of. Yeah. That's, that's the whole thing too. And I didn't, I just realized how dismissive I sound when I was like, you run of the mill depression, but like, <laughs> Jesus, um, for a chunk of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, we yeah. Oh, there is the Edinburgh postnatal depression scale. You can find that online. Um, it's a great little two page PDF and I will put it in the show notes. Help me remember that Kate. Um, it's a really great thing to print off and hand it. If you are a, a clinician, you can hand it to your clients. Um, it's a great thing. Another thing to put on the fridge to help you monitor your, you know, yourself, just a good little checklist to be like, how am I doing honestly? And then it kind of helps people figure out how, how bad that is. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have a friend that you're wondering if they have postpartum depression, just say, Hey, I found this on the internet. Yep. Yell it to them. Yeah. I really, I really like that. Yeah. That's Um, a good one. It's easy. It's reliable. So, all right. It's free. Okay. The last question, um, discussion point is skills for dealing or coping with bearing witness to birth trauma. So this could be, um, gosh, it could be anybody. It could be the actual person who's given birth. It could be the partner. It could be as a doula or a care provider skills for dealing or coping with bearing witness to birth trauma. Um, do you want to uh, take hmm. it away? Mm, well, you know, I, I've made notes. Let me just, no, I'm firstly, I'm going to say um, I'm a big fan of, this is so simple. And this is like literally the first step. Sometimes when you see something or experience something that is like just kind of, covering you like mud, um, journal, just write it out. It doesn't need, it can just be, you know, it doesn't have to be proper sentences. It can just be words, but sometimes like vomiting that out of your system, literally via, you know, pen and paper or keyboard. I think that's a huge thing of just writing down what you saw and then set it on fire or delete it or whatever. Sometimes that can be, it's like, it's, it's a way of telling your story because sometimes when we experience or witness something really traumatic, we need to tell our story. So even if you're not telling it yet to a human, it's a good way to get it to start to tell your story. Um, if you are uh, somebody who works in the hospital, um, see if you can talk with your coworkers. Oftentimes there are, uh, chart reviews or peer reviews within the system, which aren't necessarily um, emotionally supportive, but it's more of a let's look point by point why what happened happened and could we have done anything differently. Um, And hopefully if that's taking place amongst your peers, if you're a clinician, then everyone's being respectful. And in my experience, those typically go very well and are helpful. Um, I would say, um, find a therapist who has experience supporting those who work in your field or in medicine or in birth, because when you are, um, somebody who works in the hospital, 
or is a midwife at home, you're going to see stuff, period. Things happen and uh, you're going to see stuff. And not all therapists, right, can serve all people. It's just one of those things. There's different uh, therapists who have different, you know, kind of experiential, uh, God, words, Kate, perimenopause, who have different experiences serving different folks. And so um, when I was a midwife, it was really important to me that I had a therapist one period that I had a therapist period two that I had a therapist who didn't think I was crazy for being a home birth midwife. Um, I didn't need somebody judging me (laughs) for the work that I do. So the therapist that, um, I worked with had home births herself. She was an older woman. She had friends that were midwives, you know, these kind of the midwives of the seventies. And, and so that was really important to me that she could hear me and not feel like she was judging me. So the same might be true. You know, if you've got a therapist and say, you know, you're an OBGYN and they're just like, Oh, well, why don't you just quit your job? That sounds really demanding and scary. You know, and you're like, well, no, that's not an option. So trying to find somebody who actually can help you is vital. Um, Trusted friends who can really listen without judgment of you or the environment that you choose to work in. I have to say that was like vital when I did work. It was between you and Stacia. And there were times that I would leave the hospital at random times and I would have to call for a decompression. Absolutely. Before you get home. Yeah. That ride home was like, even before I get home, because if I get home, then I'm trying to be on the phone with my kids, which as you know, I hated being on the phone when my kids were around when they were little Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just kind of like, okay, I need to put this somewhere. I need to talk it out somewhere. And it was reciprocal too, of like, if you or Stacia called, you pick up the phone and most likely it's like, okay, what's going on? What do you need? What would you see? what do you hear? What do you need to, you know, tease out that kind of stuff? Um, How I always say that even what happened with, with births that were fine, you know, relatively fine. Oh yeah. You know? Across the board. It was just like, it's I just, this thing happened. It's such a lot to witness. It's such a profound experience that, mm-hmm. yeah, before you get home, before yeah. you, because you're going to bottle it up once you're home yeah. and then it's going to like explode in some shitty way in your people. Right. Well, yeah. Cause usually we were also sleep deprived when we got home yeah. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, it's also realizing like, I didn't, I didn't, it didn't really click in with me until I stopped doing births all the time. Um, that I was like, oh, wow. Like, you know, a few times a month I pop out into this like other universe of humans entering this consciousness mm-hmm. <laughs> space of living, um, while the rest of the world just kind of goes on. I'm like, well, yeah, no wonder, like I can have big thinky thoughts sometimes because I've grown up as a human for the last 20 years, watching humans come into the world. Like, but we just saw like at the time, you're just like, oh, this is what I do. It's a job. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I needed to talk to my people who understood the planet that I just left for a hot minute. Right, right. And it's always profound, regardless of your yeah. relationship with the patient or the client, right? Like yeah. it's always profound because you've just seen somebody become a family. Yeah. And um, regardless of what, you know, what, what they chose or what played out. And so, yeah, even when it's good, it's intense. And when it's, when there's a bad outcome, it's, 
it's traumatic for everybody. It's traumatic for everybody. And as a care provider or a doula or whatever, um, it's that while also holding space for yourself. You're not allowed in that space around the patient or the client to break down. Really. You're there to be your, 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 your role is to continue to be as strong as you can and to center them. Mm -hmm. Um, which is really, really hard if you've just witnessed something really difficult, right? So like, uh, you know, same with a paramedic, you know, if the, a paramedic saw a horrendous car accident, they have to hold it together mm-hmm. <laughs> until they can, you know, have and a safe place to let it go. Right. And, and if you, and if you don't right. process that shit, then I can assure you, you will find some other way to self-medicate <laughs> and you know, it could and be, and get you like, it's yeah. just you have all of that. And that's where like, again, going down to systems, like if we exist mm-hmm. in a world that we supported our intense care providers, be it doctors, midwives. Um, I think we talked about like paramedic fire police of like, you know, and there's just so much that we can't say, hey, take some time off to process this because if anything, we just demand more from every single one of those professions instead of saying like, wow, y'all don't have support systems and we're asking you to be superhuman and then judge you for it. And I, I, I you know, it's, it's the system. So, I mean, I, I wish I could say to people like, you know, that is the nice thing about being a doula as I was of like, if I did see something traumatic, I didn't usually go back to the hospital the next day. Like I had clients, a couple clients a month, but if you are on rotation or if you work a job where you work shifts and you just have to go back all the time and get repeated trauma, like those systems are severely broken. And, and why we don't like, and you could say, well, they chose that profession. It was like, oh, did you know everything about your profession when you chose to go into it and understood every nuances of which you would be subjected to because I know I've stepped into stuff where I just did not know what I the the breadth and depth of what I was taking on for a human and for myself and my family also even uh, if you know it you know um you know I remember being told like you always knew this could be a possibility if not inevitable right it doesn't mean it's not that doesn't make it easier right if we go into a field where we're caring for pregnant folks that we're not going to see a loss somewhere or, you know, an outcome that's not the best. Well, of course, you well, know, because also, statistically, and it's like, you fuck off. Like that is part of the, it shouldn't diminish. We shouldn't diminish your support after the trauma, just because you knew what you were getting into. Right. That is a bullshit angle to take. It's, it's a super bullshit angle to take. And again, it comes down to this fucking patriarchal capitalist, you know, grind culture of like, just go, just go. And you know what? It's like, well, I put my shoes on and my mascara today. Everything's fine. You yep. know, when you just have to go back to work and you can't talk about it or it's seen as a sign of weakness. Um, right. It's not weak to be human humans. Right. Um, I'm also a huge as far as therapy, I'm a big fan of EMDR, eye movement, uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, um, as a modality to help, um, 
well, quite frankly, reprocess trauma in a safe environment. Um, I've done it a few times, a um, couple times for like personal traumas and one time for a birth trauma and um, I found it highly, highly effective. So I know there, you know, th- not every therapist loves it or believes in it. Um, but as a, as a person, a human, it helped me immensely. So I'm a big fan of EMDR. Um, Jokes for different folks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any other uh, thoughts on dealing with, uh, bearing witness to birth trauma outside of just, the systems broken? <laughs> tear, on, tear down and recreate all the systems. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The biggest thing is just try not to put frosting on shit. Um, yes. don't Pollyanna it. Don't pretend like it didn't happen. Amen. Um, that it gets stored in your body. If anybody, you know, Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps Score of, you know, trauma and releasing trauma from the body. Um, and that's a really great book that we can also put in the show notes. Um, but it's, it's a complicated mess. And so holding space for those people and also like, yeah, it's okay to acknowledge to someone who might like want to process with you if you don't, you know, if you can't hold space for that, like, don't also bullshit them. Like, just say, like, mm-hmm. I appreciate the journey that you've been on, but I, I don't think I can hold space for this, but I really think it's important that you find space somewhere else. You know, if I can right. help you find space, um, instead of just kind of blowing people off, because, you know, when you've been through trauma to reach out like that is really difficult. It's a um, really vulnerable place to be in. And even hearing, I can't deal with this right now. <laughs> it's really, really hard. I was saying like, Hey, I, I, I can't hear it. Um, but how can I help? Can I help you find a vehicle that would work really well for you? Cause I, I, I really want to make sure that you feel supported. It just can't be me. So like, you know, boundaries are also really good too, because I might want to talk to, you know, something about Amanda about that might just trigger her like crazy. And I hope that you would say to me, like, hey, I can't do this, but hey, let's find you somebody to talk to. Um, So boundaries along with that, especially as doulas or people who kind of do the more soft skills supporting um, boundaries are also really important because, you know, it's not our job to necessarily take on everybody's trauma. But learning how to also listen to or support trauma that's not yours. Cause sometimes like a secondary trauma is, um, you know, bigger for, you know, doulas, I think, because we hold vessel for people. Um, you know, I think of like the goddess Kuan Yin, uh, the goddess of compassion through Buddhism and how I was always kind of pictured her. It was like kind of standing out with a cup and the cup, you know, takes all the woes of others and she compassionately listens and then she pours it out to the universe, but she doesn't take it on to herself. And that was a big lesson um, when dealing with people and taking on, you know, and being around trauma. And, you know, it's like, especially when I worked with the prison folk of, um, you know, how to hold space without energetically taking it on or mentally taking it on or emotionally taking it on. Um, and sitting with the the massive brokenness of this world and how it affects people without it necessarily, you know, completely consuming me as a human. So it's it's also learning that energetic mental boundary 
Um, and for some reason, the visual of Kuan Yin just, you know, I almost feel like she's got that little, little Dixie cup out in the universe, like a little sports cup that you get at like a sports event. <laughs> I used to collect that was like riddled our kitchen growing up. She just stands and kind of pours it out because it's important to be there for people, but not at the expense of yourself as a human. So that is a, that is a dance to learn to walk because um, there's a lot of trauma out in the world. And, there is, yeah. there is. And I will say if you work in, uh, if you are somebody who works in that environment, um, you know, it may be that you're like, oh, well, I, I don't know. I'm this, you know, name X clinician. Don't think that the other clinicians in your field are going to be able to deal with whatever, because underneath the title, we're all still humans and people can deal with shit differently. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can think of, you know, being really brokenhearted about having a a midwife, uh, who was, you know, at the time, a close friend, not be able to help me through some hard stuff. And instead finding like (laughs) the most support from a midwife who lives six hours away from me, who I'd never attended a birth with. But she was like this voice of sage wisdom as as well. And, and and she didn't say a whole lot, which, you know, she just held the space. And um, and sometimes, you know, you've got to look a little bit for the person who can listen. And the people who can't hear it, you know, may or may not be able to tell you so tactfully. <laughs> yeah, and and it's, it's important, I think, to keep seeking, even though you might have mm-hmm. that lame moment of shame because someone I mean it it I don't know sometimes when people have boundaries with me even in the most loving compassionate way I realize like it does flare up my shame response totally sit with and ride through and be like okay no that was a good thing okay good what what can okay all right I can do this again I need to you know this is my response not necessarily my reality Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not a bad person I'm just having a reaction like I feel like I'm a bad person because right vulnerable um and yeah not everybody can can rock out on this level and and that's no shade to them it's just what it is and we're all humans we all walk through the world differently so yeah um keep keep finding help oh I was gonna say the last one of the last things I mean you talk about holding energy in your body and all that sort of thing um movement whatever movement you can bring Um, on um Obviously I'm a, yoga, I'm a yoga teacher. I'm a practitioner. I like a lot of somatic movement and Feldenkrais and these things that like, just get us to like, notice the minutia in our bodies. And, you know, that's when you end up sobbing on your yoga mat. Um, let that shit go for other folks. That means running. That means, you know, walking their dog, whatever, but movement I think loud music helps. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, singing has been found to be very therapeutic, even if your voice is not great. Yep. Um, being to hold, like, to hold those different tones. And also, if you're in a space where you can be loud, showers. So that's something um, I have found that I'm actually dancing and singing more as I'm getting close to my surgery. So mm-hmm. really figuring out what my coping mechanisms are right now. And it's like, Okay. You know, I'm not turning so much to yoga or running or, but like I, I put on Macklemore in the morning and I like, well, it's a shifting of energy, isn't it? It's like not being stagnant. Mm-hmm. It's a little, little jumpy self. 
Yeah. Your life, people. Yeah. Good Seems stuff. All right. Well, we have we filled the hour, babes. Um, yeah. If you have any questions about this stuff, friends, don't be afraid to send us a message. We're at gragingacefully at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram, gragingacefully. Um, Okay. Our our next podcast, which we will get, we got to get to recording, is going to be our spooky stories. But it is next a, Monday, I, which I just so, had an event last night, and I haven't told Amanda about it yet. Oh, so I, I'm going to be surprised. Um, gosh, yeah. I reset my computer, and everything's cuckoo. Is next Monday is Halloween, so we will get. We'll get a spooky spooks coming at you. Um, and just quickly uh, plug in myself, Amanda Tapping Yoga on Patreon, Amanda Tapping Yoga on uh, 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 YouTube for free stuff. Patreon, if you want to throw your girl a couple of dollars, it's my livelihood. No pressure. It's good. Yeah, <laughs> right. Amazing. The videos are amazing. And before, Bless your heart. before I plug myself, what are you digging right now? What are you into? What are you watching? What are you eating? And then I'll plug myself and share my side. Um, I've been, I've been, I got a donut pan for 50 pence. How much How is funny? Here? It's about 60 cents. <laughs> hey. it, yeah. The, the pound is falling. Um, 50 pence. It was on a clearance rack. So I got a donut pan and so I've been baking donuts and Ooh. so good. This morning I made maple glazed donuts. Fantastic. Because there's no cider mills here. So I keep making different um, mm-hmm. things like that. And Vanita Blackburn, um, How to Wrestle a Girl. That's the book I couldn't think of last time I talked to you. A book of short wow. stories. Very amazing um, writer. Highly recommend. All right, you quick, go. Uh, I, uh, you're going to love this one. My treat last night was um, goat yogurt with some homemade rhubarb jam and my homemade nut butter that I made the other day and I mixed it all together and it's kind of a creamy little treat. Okay. That sounds actually good. Okay. What, what were the nuts? Uh, the nuts were the uh, one container of salted and one container of unsalted mixed nuts without peanuts from Costco blended up in my, so it had like all the nuts except peanuts. That sounds really good. Okay. Uh, any books, shows? Um, shows. I did start watching Mrs. America which is um, really great about like um, ERA women's movement, Gloria Steinem. Gotcha. Cool. So so yeah, that's very good. And also plug in myself. I have a Dona birth doula training on November 4th and 5th. Um, You can find more information on my website, www.katestroud.com. And yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. Okay. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, friends. Um, We appreciate you and hit us up with any other questions you might have. And if you need to talk about your birth trauma, you know, I got a lot of time. If you want to, if you want to just hit me up and you need to talk, I will listen. And if anybody wants to talk about um, one of my little favorite things to talk about is um, sex after childbirth. So if we want to have that conversation at a point in time, let us know. Because if we get enough hollas, we can talk about that as well. That's right. Okay, cool. Well, then uh, <laughs> we'll see you next time with right. some ghosts in the room. Did we both say who at the same time? <laughs> All right. We're so smart. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> I love you. Love you. Thank you.